Welcome to a collaborative episode of From the Front Row and Share Public Health, two podcasts produced from the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I am Ian Bukta, a host and producer for From the Front Row, a podcast produced by University of Iowa College of Public Health students to share public health to provide conversations in public health with established and emerging leaders in public health. I am thrilled to be partnering with the Midwestern Public Health Training Center's podcast, Share Public Health, which connects you to public health topics, issues, and colleagues throughout our region and the country, highlighting that we all share in public health. Thank you for tuning into this series of interviews with young public health leaders in our region. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today, Leah. Uh, Can you state your name, organization, and and position within that organization? So my name is Leah Kazanave, and I supervise the STD Prevention and Control Program at the Douglas County Health Department, which is a local health department in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today, and congratulations again on this prestigious honor of being named the Beaumont 40 Under 40. Uh, can you t- talk a little bit about what about the project that got you on this list, the uh, Take Home Project uh, or the Take Home Kit Project? Yeah, so that was one of the big ones that we kind of started to do, and we're still attempting to roll that out and trying it in different avenues and seeing what's going to work the best. Uh, Some of the, you know, to be 100% honest, it's I started in this position three years ago, and when I started, they had had some testing events already occurring, so we have been testing in our public libraries, community centers for the last eight years. So I think we're over now, I think we're at 10 years. So this is something that's been going on in our community. We're a recognized entity and I don't wanna take credit for stuff that I didn't do, but I'm here. I think of my job as bragging about my group and the work that they do. And I'm kind of their way to push stuff forward so that they can get recognized. And so that's been going on. So kind of what we thought was for sustainability reasons, how can we make this project and STD testing accessible to everyone, any day, uh, any time, anything along those reasons. So if we can't be there, how can we make sure that those items are available for people? So we started um, working with one of our community colleges. It's got three different campuses on in Omaha one on the north side, south side, and then one out west. So we worked with them and we partnered with some other organizations to try and see what was feasible. That project is still kind of in the pilot phase. We're still kind of working through that, but word has gotten out that we've done that and now we are trying to have other college campuses have that same uh, project. So we're working with two other local colleges that are here and are willing to work with us and so we can kind of push this forward. Have you had any preliminary results uh, with this so far that you can share? At this moment, I don't have the results with me, um, but you know, if once we get some stuff, you know, I'm more than happy to share kind of where we're going with that and kind of what we end up finding out, yeah. Awesome, and um, so how, so if you don't mind me kind of changing directions a bit, how, so as you've gone about this project, how has systems thinking informed your work and why is systems and thinking important? 
You know, we really need to, as a health department, and we have to know what's going on around us, how can we be sustainable, and knowing what organizations are out there and how we can collaborate in order to basically save money or find out how to do these projects that we haven't had the funding to do. So I think that's one of the big things of recognizing what's going on, learning about your community and learning what potential opportunities are out there that you can collaborate with. Great, thank you so much. And then change management is an essential skill for public health and in most fields. Um, so do you think about change management in your role? Yeah, you know, we, there's been several different areas. So in my group, we've got, um, just to give you some background on what my program consists of. So we've got two STD HIV prevention specialists. I have one community health educator. I have four disease investigators and two and a half uh, secretaries, essentially, that we kind of joke, they touch every STD in our county. Um, so with them, we've got our outreach program that's kind of going, and then we've also got our disease investigation, which takes a lot of time and effort, and these people are kind of the hidden gems, I think, of STD prevention because they're not seen all the time, but they do a lot of the background work, and they are the ones really preventing from preventing that disease from spreading further. So when it comes to looking at change and how stuff can be done, and at least in my role, I always knew, like, don't make big changes right away. Get to understand the program, understand what's going on, what works, what doesn't in your area. And then once we kind of figured that out and saw where the trends were going in our rates, I said, something's got to happen. We've got things that are increasing and rates that are going up that we need to get a handle on what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, is there particular age groups? Is there um, locations? I don't know. It was something that we weren't quite sure what was going on. So uh, one of the big changes I made when I, I wouldn't say first started, but within, you know, maybe eight, nine months was having my disease investigators interview all the gonorrhea cases that came into our county. And that was because we were seeing the rates increase. How can we determine what's going on and getting some information? Uh, it was not taken well at first, but once we kind of realized what was going on and I started to show them the data that was coming back as to why this group might be going up or this group might be going down. So we were, it was good in the sense of we were able to monitor those changes and eventually we got a handle on what was going on and now we've started to kind of cut back on some of those interviewing cases because other things are taking precedence at this point. So knowing how to recognize what changes are needed and when, and then knowing that that may not be something that's a permanent change or something that is gonna stick around forever, I would say is one of the key points. So it sounds like you and your team have been able to be pretty fluid with the different changes that have come up in your in your field of work. How can professionals develop skills to manage change more effectively in the way that your team's been able to kind of adapt? I think, uh, you know, recognizing who's on your team, and that's a skill that you can only really get once you're knowing them and they're in person and talking to the people and get to know who you're working with. I 
This is my team and I rely on them for a lot. I know one person is extremely good at entering stuff, you know, like they're a computer guru is kind of what I go. She is my go-to when it comes to computer items and help me fix this programming. Um, and then I've got people that are very detail oriented and know how to get from A to B in a very detailed procedural way, which we also need. I mean, you need every piece of this. So recognizing who's on your team and how they may take change and preparing them differently for how they plan to attack it in sense. Um, and I, what was, oh, how do you, how my professionals learn, right? Um, so I would say, I've had some really great mentors along the way, and that's been incredibly helpful. Having people that you can turn to and say, hey, look, I'm having a problem with this. Can you help me? Um, don't ever be afraid to ask for help. That's one thing that I'm known for. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but if I don't know something, I'm not going to pretend to know it, and I'm going to ask the folks that know what's going on. So, Yeah, and – in previous episodes of From the Front Row, we've talked to different people about mentoring. One question that I think a lot of people have had from those earlier episodes was, how do you find a mentor? Oh, man, that's a great question. So I had, I think I was lucky. I was very fortunate. Uh, I went to University of Kentucky for my master's and my doctorate and just fell into some really great mentors that were there. So when, um, you know, working through that program, some of the teachers that I had there, even teachers that weren't necessarily in my area, I became very close with and I still talk to to this day, um, really referring back to them and saying, hey, you know, do you know who I could contact here? Uh, I'm, I tend to talk a lot in general, so I think, I try to keep those connections open and making sure that I am still in contact with them and I am willing to hit up anyone that, you know, if I need something and I know that this person's really good at what they're doing, I'm not afraid to contact them and just say, hey, so-and-so referred me, uh, can you help me with this problem I'm having? Um, but in order to find a mentor, that's, I started with someone that I, admire and worked with at Kentucky and I asked him I said you know can you help me here's kind of what I'm looking for in a mentor I'm here's where I'm at in my career this is kind of what I'm looking to get into and kind of where I want to see myself grow and he gave me three different people to talk to and I talked with them and they all had great backgrounds and very helpful and all willing to help so it's pretty easy if you find one person tell ask them who might they refer as a mentor based on here's where I want to go. This is what I want to do. That's great advice. And if you don't mind me kind of broadening it a little bit, what advice yeah. do you have for students considering public health and students embarking on their public health careers? I guess that's two questions. So let's just start with what advice do you have for students considering public health? So I've got, I'll kind of give my background story a little bit in this piece. So I went to Creighton University for undergrad, and I swore I was going to go to medical school, which I feel like a lot of us end up in that realm. And I, at Creighton, we have to take the 
theology or philosophy classes. It's one of the Jesuit values that we have to focus on one of those two. And I ended up taking more philosophy classes than ended up being a philosophy minor. Um, and from there, I realized it was the classes that I took in that was bioethics and all of this and really learning about public health in general and epidemiology and learning that this field existed because beforehand, I just thought I wanted to be this cool doctor that investigates diseases and goes out to the Sahara Desert and watches these stupid movies, <laughs> to be quite honest. But I was fascinated by them. So that's kind of how I ended up in this world was because a lot of us all tend to think medical field, but now that public health is a new and up-and-coming path, I think it's fantastic uh, for I work with a lot of the undergrads here and try to get them to see what areas of public health are there um, and show them all the different kind of sex, you know, different programs that we have in our health department alone. But even in the classes I've taught, I remind folks that whatever you're interested in, be it, uh, you know, from Iowa, and I had a professor that was interested in farm safety but he did a ton of uh, epidemiological research that was based on tractor rollover bars, which stuff like that, like people don't think of, but depending on where you're at, there's always something related to public health wherever you are, whatever interest you might have. So I think finding what you enjoy, like find something that you're interested in and that you can talk about for hours, and find out how public health has a role in that. And then once you get that piece down, talk to your local health department. Uh, we're, I think we're all pretty friendly here and we're happy to meet with students or folks that are coming back and wanna go back into public health. We're always happy to talk and share our experiences. So I guess that's kind of the one piece of what I would recommend. Uh, there was a second question there, I believe, wasn't there? Yeah, so the second question is for people, you know, young professionals or students who know they want to go into public health and maybe they're in the last year of college or grad school, what can they do to better set themselves up or to accelerate their careers? I would say, you know, my one of my dearest friends works at, uh, she worked at CDC for a while and now she works at Center for Medicaid, and I was talking with her the other day, and we both have differing ideas on how this happens. Uh, it more or less depends on the person, but as I mentioned earlier, I'm all up for just emailing, calling people, and saying, hey, I got your name. How can I get involved with this? I want to I put myself out there without really doing a whole lot of background research, which sometimes comes back to bite me. I get that, but it's just how I operate. And I'm happy to go talk to anyone that I know exists in that area. Just give me a way to contact them and I'll talk to them. Where my friend, on the other hand, is a research and find out what this person has done, does all the background research and kind of knows what she's stepping into a little bit more than I am, but maybe more hesitant to reaching out to people right away. So I don't think there's harm in either way. I'm not really giving an answer to that question, but um, I think kind of looking at both directions, they're both really good. 
it just depends on your personality, I think. But I think really creating connections when you can, how you can, in whatever way you feel comfortable. Yeah, it's so interesting talking to, you know, I've been able to, over the last year that we've been doing this podcast, be able to talk to all these different public health professionals. And all of them, when I ask them, you know, what is the most important thing, they always tell me, go build relationships. And I think that is really an interesting testament to our field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that that's really the connections that you create in our field, because we, it is small when you think about it. Uh, public health has been around for forever, but it's now growing popularity. It's becoming the, we always joke, like the sexy topics are coming around and people are realizing that that's what public health is. Like, oh, they do that. And so having those connections will help you build programs and helping you get through stuff easy. You know, like if we typically never really have enough funding to do what we want, uh, we have big ideas, but we can't push them forward because we don't have the dollars to do it. But if you can find those relationships and connections with community partners, even state, even federal partners, you might have more opportunities to try and push stuff forward and say, listen to my idea. I think this is worthwhile. Yeah. So kind of going off that last point, you know, listen, in how to convince community partners, how to convince lawmakers to get involved. What tips do you have for persuasive communication and getting people to buy into the importance of public health and public health programs? Oh, man. Um, so as, as you're aware, I work in the STD prevention office. I also live in Nebraska. So it's a little bit tough here to get some of the things that we want through because we are typically a more conservative state and really trying to get the buy-in on some of these things. Uh, there is a college here that is a very conservative school and we are actually working the stars aligned and we're actually now able to, we're going to start pushing to do STD testing on campus. And granted, there are some things that we can't talk about, but they're actually letting us come in there, which has never been done before. So we're excited because all of this happened and know who your partners are. As I mentioned with this university, they're conservative, but they're willing to work with us as long as we state, you know, we're not going to talk about this. We're going to respect you and know that that's not your values. And, but we're here to really just protect the health of students. We're here for that disease prevention piece. And I think that's, beneficial. Uh, I can, right now I can really speak to the STD world. Uh, I've, I've done some work with chronic disease, but my, my passion is in what I'm doing now. And I think that persuasive conversation is just knowing and listening to your partners and collaborators and hearing what they might be interested in and how you can work together. So I really liked the point that you made about really knowing your partner and just building that relationship with that community partner in order to make an incremental change that might not have been the huge glorious public health change the world every single step all at once, mm -hmm. but it's still a huge step. Yeah, I think a lot of our work is dealt like that, that we do these baby steps. Uh, you know, in our community, we've changed so much over the last even since I've been in this position, the stuff that's been allowed has 
changed so much. Uh, more and more things are opening up and more and more ideas and people are more willing to let us come in and do have more opportunities. You know, we've got condom boxes throughout town at bars, barbershops, um, pharmacies. All of these folks are willing to let us in because we, I think we are a reliable source, but we don't push what we know. You know, we don't push the limits to the sense of making folks uncomfortable. We're only there to say, hey, when you're, when you're ready, let us know, and we're happy to come in and provide this information. Or if it's just, you know, being there as a support to say, okay, yep, we can help with that, and you just let us know when. Yeah, that's a that's a really good pers- or a really interesting pers- perspective on this. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to change directions a little bit here again. Um, so we've been talking about how you get to funding and how you get people to buy in. Let's talk about a a world. If you had the ability to change one thing in public health and time and money weren't a factor, you got a magical wand, one use. That you could change one thing, either you know, in the world of public health or you know, in the work that we do. What would it be? Oh man, that's a really tough question. It's like I have a thousand things spinning in my head. That, but you know, looking at where public health is today, and I even think, like I said, in my program, I don't want to speak to other things, but. You know, even here, we've seen how social determinants of health, how all of these things play such a role in every aspect of public health. Every every inch of it is sworn, just covered by this. So I think if I had unlimited time and money and could just do whatever I wanted, it would somehow, I don't even know how this would happen, but to work on those inequalities that exist and work in creating equitable situations for folks and somehow being able to make that happen. Like I said, I have no idea it would take a lot to make all this happen because there's just so many differences and so many, uh, anyways. So I guess that's where I would probably say I would focus my, my magic wand. All right, thank you. And then just two last questions. The first is, what is one thing that you thought you knew, but later realized that you were wrong about? Um, you know, when, and I make sure that anytime I get students that come in and either come kind of, come visit and shadow for a day or are doing their internships with us, I make sure, because, you know, when you see all these zombie shows and um, hospital shows that talk about disease outbreaks and that kind of stuff, because that's, like I said, that's the sexy public health stuff right now. And I think a lot of people get kind of tainted by those, thinking that that's what public health is. Well, there's so much more on the back end. There's, you know, such a small piece of public health is that piece. And I wish I would have known, one, how much paperwork is required of me to do anything. And that's just, I've gotten used to it now. But I think that's one of the things. And I guess another thing that I've learned when I worked at the state, and this isn't, a, hopefully this doesn't come off as a bash to anyone, but 
I used to think that folks at like federal level organizations were these end all be alls, but they're just like us. And I think that was the one thing that I took to myself and now have a fun time with it is just realizing that these are folks that I may have gone to school with or that I met at a conference. So I just have to remember that, you know, things may happen, stuff may get messed up, but they're just like us. So I guess those are kind of my two things. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like that second point a lot that, you know, every hero is a person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So the last question is, is a little different. It's what's one thing outside of the world of public health that's really caught your, like caught your attention or amazed you? Oh, outside of public health. Um, let's see. I would say, you know, one, this is just a funny comment, I think, to myself, is that I've been in the public health realm, and I now, like, when I go outside and look at other things, that's all I notice. But um, maybe seeing the change of how media and technology and all of that has become so different and has such a different effect than when I was younger. Um, even, for example, seeing how much stuff has changed, like I think the MTV VMAs were on the other day. I didn't know a single person on there. Uh, <laughs> these are just some of the things that keep me up at night. I don't know. <laughs> well, Leah, thank you so much for your time uh, to come on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us today. Special thanks to our guests and to members of our planning committee. Sonia Armbruster, Haley Boudreau, Katie Brander, Ian Bukta, Maya Chilis, Stacey Coleman, Brandon Grimm, Suzanne Hawley, Abigail Menke, Melissa Richland, Hannah Schultz, Lori Walkner, and Kristen Wilson for guidance in creating this series, and to the DeBeaumont Foundation for creating the 40 Under 40 list and to connecting us to these impressive honorees. Funding for this podcast is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. Please see the podcast notes for an evaluation and transcript. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. If you want to hear more of either of the two podcasts that are collaborating today, you can find links to our shows in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. All right. Have a wonderful week, everybody.